Welcome to Occasional Randomness. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host, someone who's not really fun at parties, Jason Johnson. Well, see, truth be told, I'm a really bad dancer, and so that's why nobody invites me. So I'll just sit yeah. over here by myself. Yeah. Yeah. That makes two of us. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't dance to save my life. I'm glad we've, we, we, we moved past that phase in life, I think, yeah, where that's an expectation. First up on tonight's podcast, Farscape Season 3, Episode 13, Scratch and Sniff. And after that, we will cover the first half of the brand new, well, almost brand new, Disney Plus Marvel series, Secret Invasion, that's Episodes 1 through 3. So brand new since we just released an episode last time. Exactly. Brand new as far as we're concerned. By the time this comes out, well, Episode 4 will be out, so we'll see from there. So if we're completely wrong, don't hold it against us, is what we're saying. Right. And uh, some possibly exciting news for you folks that love Farscape. Uh, when, back when we started hosting our podcast here on Podbean, we started with Farscape Episode 3. And that's because that's where we left off from doing our little guest or listener podcasts on the Incomparable Podcasting Network. And if you've gone to our website, occasionalrandomness.podbean.com, you've seen that we have links back to those 22 episodes for Seasons 1 and 2 over there. But we thought it might be a good idea to, on the off weeks, when we're not doing the regular podcast of Season 3 and onward, we can release those old Season 1 and Season 2 episodes here on Podbean, so you can listen to them as part of this podcast feed that you're already subscribed to. Yay! Yay! So be on the lookout for those if you subscribe in whichever favorite podcasting platform player of choice you use. So find us when we're all podcasts are sold no wait that doesn't work hmm. anyway yeah we're all fine podcasts are found just floating around and on the internets of, out there yeah and speaking of fine podcasts if you like what we do please give us a like or a review wherever you listen to this at or better yet help spread the word and let people know about us we would greatly appreciate it thank you so much in advance all right, so let's jump into Farscape Season 3, Episode 13, Scratch and Sniff, or And Sniff. Mm. Sniff. Mm. Mm. Apostrophe N. Down on a pleasure planet, Dargo and Crichton are in a bar. So stop me if you've heard this one before. A human and Luxon walk into a bar. Oh. And Luxon says no. Dar- <laughs> Why the Dargo long tells Crichton. No. Yeah. <laughs> Dargo tells Crichton that he's exactly like a Sebastian. When Chiana comes over acting all trippy and mentions that Pilot banished them from Moya because they keep fighting all the time. Jewel kind of stumbles over in a worse state than Chiana, and the girls leave to go have more fun. Just then, two other girls approach Crichton and Dargo, and they all go and dance. Later, Dargo wakes up Crichton, telling him that the girls spiked their drinks and took their money. <gasps> Didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Crichton suddenly realizes that they're all in a window with people watching them. Dargo tells him to go get dressed, and Crichton notices that he's wearing stockings and screams and runs away. Then we cut to Moya, where Pilot's telling Crichton that he said 10 solar days away from Moya, and he meant 10, not 2 days. Crichton says that Pilot told him that if he could explain why they're back, he could stay on board. And so the interesting question mark story <laughs> begins. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Right. So, Crichton and Dargo are under a large tent on a beach, arguing again with each other, when they notice a familiar face from the bar and the window, an alien called Rexil. Dargo wants to know if she stole their currency, but she says that she knows what happened to their females, the gray one, and the really annoying gold one. (laughs) (laughs) 
She says that she has a recording, but Crichton is rather skeptical. She says that Crichton's not very smart, but Dargo has a brain. She then shows them Jules' comm badge, so they go with her. Raxwell takes them to a Hanji named Kaba. We'll cut back real quick to the boiler and pilot has seemingly heard of the Hanji, but doesn't believe Crichton actually met one. Apparently, Hanji record what they see, even when their eyes aren't attached to their body. Oh, that's kind of cool. Kaba has a recording of the show, quote-unquote, but they need to pay for it. Since all their money's gone, uh, Raxel is forced to hand over money for them. But her money just happens to be the same currency that Crichton was using before. Hmm. Hmm. Crichton is suspicious, but they plug themselves in and become immersed in the recording. It shows Jewel doing flips, attempting to impress the audience, and went a bit with Jana. Jana is also shown twirling like fire chains or whatever in front of a man who then faints. The crowd applauds and Jana orders a drink. She's approached by a man named Fitor who makes her inhale something. And as we learn, uh, apparently Fitor rounds up all the good-looking women, gives them the whiff of wherever this is, and then the women do anything he wants. Dargo goes with Raxel to Fitor's place, and Crichton goes back to the bar to look there for any signs of Chiana or Jewel. Dargo returns to meet Crichton on the beach and describes his time at Fitor's residence. Jewel was there taking a bath as Chiana entertained Fitor. Chiana thought that Dargo was there because he was jealous which he doesn't really admit to. When Dargo goes to drag them back, Fitor's men pulled guns on him and forced him to leave. Dargo's upset with Raxel and starts to strangle her, so she sprays something in his eye. Then we cut to the bar where Dargo is dancing and acting all trippy and crazy. Uh, at this point, Pilot stops the story, saying that this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I'm a pilot. <laughs> More on that later, also called foreshadowing. He says that Crichton makes no sense, but Crichton says that this part is the important part. Raxel tells Crichton that she sprayed Dargo with some Freslin, a drug that makes people attracted to others, but the effects depend on where it's manufactured. She says that she thinks Fitor wants the girls to milk them for Freslin. As we see Fitor taking Jewel to a chamber, Raxel says that Fitor has her mate, Sarl, and she wants to get him back. Crichton notices Fitor's assistant enter the bar and goes up to him, saying that he's looking for some fresh Freslin. And we see in another cutscene Fitor milking Jewel, which again, ew. Pilot uh, interjects, stating that having that much bodily fluid drained would have killed her. Crichton tells him, shh, be quiet, let me finish. Crichton convinces the man and receives something that will get him into the auction. Crichton goes back to the Hanji and forces it to show them Fitor's compound layout. I guess this guy's got eyes everywhere. In the auction room, Harvey appears, seemingly happy to finally be meeting Dargo. He gives advice, showing the two some circuit breakers that will blow the lights to every level in the auction house. They find the milking room and count the number of steps between it and the auction room, since they'll need to navigate it in the dark once they cut the power, but they can't agree on the actual number and start arguing. Crichton says it's 10, and Dargo says it's 10 if you're human, 8 if you're Luxon, because, you know, longer steps. Good logic. Eh, or it makes sense to me. We'll see if he's right. In Fitor's chamber, Chana wakes up and goes to look for Jewel, but Fitor finds her. Dargo argues with Raxel, and she says that she didn't plan everything, so they could back out now. Dargo gets a little irate that she's planned everything and tells Crichton what she said. She's not impressed that they only brought two measly guns, apparently having heard some great stories about them and how wonderful they are. She says that she set this all up so Fitor would take Jewel and Chiana so she could get her mate back. And just because, she sprays Dargo again with the Freslin when Kabaz says that he has a live connection. Crichton sees Fitor milking Chiana and tells Dargo that he should look. A weird-looking alien appears, but Rexel says, no, 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 the Freslin she sprayed Dargo made him look this way, apparently some kind of disguise. That's only temporary. Back on Moya, Pilot is having none of this story whatsoever, and says he does not appreciate Crichton's lies. 
Crichton says that in all the time they've known each other, he has never lied to Pilot before, and continues on with his story. At the auction house, as they enter, Fitor suggests the Navari girl to Crichton. He's surprised to see Raxel, thinking she had given up the Freslin trade. We start the auction bidding for Gianna, as Crichton and Darga argue with Raxel for not saying that she used to trade Freslin. She tells Darga that he must stay calm or the Freslin will wear off and he'll change back to his real self. Fitor begins the auction for Gianna. When the bidding gets high, Crichton bids. He gets outbid, so he has to take a closer look. And then he bids even higher, but again is outbid. So once again, he goes up to Chan to get a closer look, stumbling up to her and asking her where Jewel is, which makes Dargo getting a little more angrier. Crichton bids really high this time, but again gets outbid. And this time is too much, and he says that he needs more time to outbid, but is told to step aside. The sale's over. Chan is sold, and Dargo yells at Crichton for crushing Chan's body, which causes him to change back to his usual appearance. Well, now the jig's up, so Crichton shoots out the lights, and more gunfire ensues. Dargo manages to get to the milking room and knocks the assistant unconscious with his little tongue sting. But we see that Raxel's mate is dead, but Dargo escapes with Jewel. Chiana, and then Crichton enters the milking room to find Raxel, who has gotten her stolen machine design back, hmm, and runs off. Chiana runs off too, and Crichton goes to follow her, but Fitor shows up and attacks him. Chiana comes up from behind and throws a load of frizzling over him, saying that he'll die happy. And then back on Moya, Crichton tells Pilot that Raxel used them all, so it's not their fault. Pilot still does not believe his story one bit because there are too many inconsistencies. And Chana and Jewel are still sleeping, so Crichton says that he'll explain again, but Pilot says, no, please don't. Pilot's found an industrial plant nearby and says that Crichton and Dargo will stay there, and they'll return in eight solar days. No questions, <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts. Crichton insists that it was all real, but Pilot says that he and Moya desire time away from their constant bickering, and this adventure did not alleviate that need. He kicks Crichton out, and then Crichton tells Dargo they're being thrown off Moya again, and the two quickly start yet another argument. The end. Some trivia about this episode. The original script called for this episode to be a dark, noir detective story. Francesca Bueller, aka Mrs. Ben Browder, makes her third appearance as Raxel, and her third role on the show. The exterior beach scenes were filmed at Marubra Beach, a popular Sydney resort, at 8 a.m. in the morning in freezing cold temperatures. This episode contains over 1,300 picture edits. And as mentioned before, Gigi Edley juggles fire sticks in real life and was encouraged to do so on the show when she noticed when she was noticed doing this in her off time, I guess, on set. She just juggled fire sticks? Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. When you're bored, what do you do? Yeah, you know. Hey, set this on fire. Let me show you a trick. <laughs> <laughs> Jules' acrobatics were actually performed by, by Tammy McIntosh, who had been a gymnast prior to becoming an actress. For the first time, the regular theme music is omitted from the closing credits, instead replaced with a piece of lounge music substituted. Also, for the first time, Harvey meets a Moya crew member other than Crichton, Aaron, and Jothy. Uh, in the past, Dargo's tongue sting was usually been reserved for subduing fellow crew members. This is the first episode to show him actually using it against somebody else. And finally, the appearance of Harvey in this episode confirms that Scorpius's clone has also been duplicated, as he also appeared to the other Crichton back in relativity. All right, Jason. So what did you think of this rather odd, trippy episode? Yeah. So I guess, as I kind of mentioned, uh, indicated earlier during the recap, probably not my favorite episode. We've had our share of trippy episodes. The I can't remember titles very well, but the one where Crichton thinks he's back on Earth and Dargo is another astronaut you know, with him. And anyway... Uh, that that was probably my favorite of that example of you know our really trippy story episodes. 
this one just came across as weird. It, it, I liked it more by the time we got to the end of it, but it took a good bit for me to get into it. And there's just so many little nitpicks with it. I, I think as we'll kind of get into as we break it down a little more, that may be the intention and that, you know, it's being relayed to pilot and pilot doesn't even believe it. So maybe I'm just feeling it like pilot feels it, but it, it was a tough sell for me. I, I, I question a lot of the actions. I question a lot of the, the, the things. I don't understand why the characters act like the way they do. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, Dargo as the other estimate was Gary Regal. They're really laid back. You know, hey, dude. <laughs> yeah, which I liked. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was. It did take me a little bit also to kind of get into it because it was just, like, weird. And like like the trivia I mentioned, you know, there were lots of, like, jump cuts throughout the whole episode, but mostly in that beginning, like, first I don't know, hat quarter, whatever they have the first part of the episode. They're just jumping back and forth, and it was weird. Yeah, it's kind of off putting. Yeah, it's kind of cool once you get used to it, but yeah, it did take it a little bit to kind of, I guess, get into this. And like I said, maybe that's the intention, right? They want you to feel out of sorts and trippy, but it just, it just made it confusing, and I don't know. Yeah, because certainly between Dargo and Crichton getting hit with the Freslin or just whatever, they're just kind of like acting all, yeah, kind of goofy, weird, drunk, dr- whatever. Well, yeah, and, and we really don't get a, a true definition of what Freslin's supposed to do, right? Because at first it, it makes you attracted, and then it makes you want to dance, and then it makes you look like a totally different creature to everybody around you. I, it, it, confusing. Like, I don't know. I, that part really got me confused. Yeah, I mean, they kind of explain that, I guess, it depending on where it comes from, it acts differently, but it does kind of do the same things, sort of. I don't know, yeah, it was... Until Dargo turns into a different-looking alien, for some reason. So. Yeah, so I don't know who's that came from, but yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said in the trivia, you know, kudos to Gigi and Tammy for doing their own stunts, quote-unquote, in this episode. I mean, who knew Gigi could twirl fire sticks and Tammy was a gymnast? I mean, I when I first saw that happening, I was like, okay, it's got to be like a stunt person or something. And I'm like, no, that's Gigi twirling those fire things at the end, in the chains. And okay, that's awesome. And then, you know, Tammy doing the couple back flips down the, the party floor. I'm like, wow, cool. All right, good job. Yeah, that, that was an interesting bit. It does show that, you know, when you get a show to this point, right, we're several seasons in, they've been together a lot. You, you kind of find these ex- interesting other skills that, your actors may have and can kind of throw those in occasionally like, Hey, we saw you doing this. So let's fit that in here. And, you know, you've done this elsewhere. So let's just throw this in too. Right. So kind of a neat bit of things that you don't necessarily get early seasons when they're still trying to feel these things out. Yep. And yeah, they're in this big giant party scene. So I think I joked on the last podcast, I think about since they've done all studio shows and bottle shows all season and had like one or two guest stars, right. That they're, Saving all their money for some big location extravaganza and a cast of thousands. Well, almost. Uh, you know, we we did have a final, finally an external location, an actual beach, outside, outdoors, and we had like tons of skimpily dressed extras dancing and partying around the beach and the club. So okay, there we go. Yeah, money. Hopefully, we didn't burn a, a lot of budget on this one, and and we'll make up for it in the multi-parters that are coming up later. So. Yeah, I mean they're mostly uh, you know extras not speaking, so yeah, that's they're, they're probably cheap to toss on screen. I I could just picture this at some public beach somewhere though, you know, it's like hey, let's just you know, 
real quick. Today's Alien Day. Show up in anyway. Yeah, that's probably doing it at like eight o'clock in the morning on a cold day. So it's not a lot of people out there on the beach going, "What are you doing out there?" And uh, as we've come to expect from Farscape, they deliver on yet another weird alien puppet thing. The bartender who's got eyes that detach and record wherever they see. That's that's handy. Uh, I don't know how you evolve that, but hey, cool. It's always something new and interesting. I love it. And apparently when you're watching one of those recordings, which you have it like immersed into, like almost like a hologram kind of thing, like whatever, like group mind or whatever, where you're both seeing the same thing, uh, Harvey appears and Dargo can see him and hear him. And he's actually helpful, which, you know, I guess now he is because he's not the real, the real neural chip. He's just kind of like a remnant. And, you know, he helps him by pointing out the circuit breakers for the lights. And Dargo doesn't seem exactly all that surprised to see him. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. So I think this little bit is probably my favorite part of this episode for a couple of reasons. We get this unique species, right? Like you said, something we really get to take advantage of in this show with the, the Henson factory churning out really cool aliens. And, um, you know, some unique, unique, interesting abilities. I, I was thinking about the uh, piece of trivia about uh, this was almost a noir detective show, and I could just see this guy fitting in really coolly with a, a like a great detective or something with his detachable eyeballs and basically being a a, a system, a security system, camera system for a planet. Right. The other thing I'll mention is I think the Harvey thing is really cool and probably the only thing in this episode that I hope they carry forward. You know, like you know. Does that have rep- repercussions now that Dargo knows that John's got a uh, Harvey in his head? Yeah, because now at least you know Aaron probably knows, or she does know, and then yeah, now Dargo does. So yeah, I mean those are his two closest friends, more or less, on the crew. And yeah, if it was like a, a noir detective thing, that'd be kind of cool. Like yeah, like you're that's how you could like spy on your you know like having your d- detective spy on people, you know, use this guy or whatever. Could be a different twist if they would have done that, but. They went with the uh, American Bandstand, Trippy Dance, whatever. Lounge thing, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woodstock, whatever, I don't know. Needed some Hendrix, that's my take. Yeah. But they did kind of, I guess, yeah, uh, go away from the noir thing and play up the wacky wackiness in this one. So, you know, Crichton wakes up after he and Dargo get roofied, and he's wearing, like, the, one of the women's stockings, and he notices and screams and runs away. <laughs> so like, okay, kind of funny. And they, they kept replaying it, like, three or four times. <laughs> So, and then of course Dargo getting constantly hit with Fresland and be like, Bleh! and then going like you know like psychedelic dance uh, escapade. So yeah, you know, made you laugh. It did. I th- I think that my frustration with this episode came from feeling like the crew should be smarter than this at this point, right? Like you know they're supposed to be they should be seasoned travelers, and yet I feel like every planet we go to we have to get drunk and. Something bad has to happen. It's like, you know, just enjoy yourself without losing everything, maybe? I don't know. Eh. But, (laughs) yeah. Uh, You know, I will say, like I said, I did kind of get into it towards the end, and it had some some redeeming qualities to it. I just kind of was expecting a more serious episode than I think we got. Although, again, that's assuming that it's a a legitimate episode and not an unreliable narrator story, right? So, yeah. And then, you know, the, the real main plot of the episode, not, you know, dancing and partying, uh, although that's most of the episode, was Chan and Jewel getting abducted by this guy to drain their bodies of whatever to make this Fresland stuff. And we get to learn more and more about Raxel and how really 
it kind of seems like she was basically behind the whole thing indirectly. I mean, I guess apparently she either developed the machine to make the Freslin or developed the, the formula for Freslin. I don't know. It wasn't quite clear, but, and then she's trying to obviously get that. And all that. There's all lies about, you know, her mate or friend or whatever, probably, I'm guessing, because she really seemed all broken up about it when he was dead there. And, you know, just pretty much just using the crew to get what she needed. And, um, yeah, that, that milking chair was odd <laughs> tubes going to places that tubes shouldn't be going on people uh, kind of kinky i don't know but yeah that's, that, that's the plot so there you go yeah and i i think again my, my head canon for this i keep going back to that noir detective show type thing and you know maybe having her actually be the bad guy and tricking them into robbing somebody you know so that she could get her designs back there's probably a pretty cool story in there somewhere but yeah, overall, I think that that mattered less than just kind of an excuse for our characters to kind of work through these scenes. So, yeah, so that's kind of like like a, a detective noir kind of plot line. Like the person hiring the detective is in on it, like or wants him to do something that she can't do, that they can't do, and he has the resources to do it. So yeah, I can kind of see where they kind of maybe use some of the same elements from the idea, but then just made it more outrageous yeah you <laughs> went the other, other direction you could you could take the same story and approach it from different ways I, I think that's actually kind of a neat concept so yeah and like i said the next big set piece kind of thing was the uh, auction house scene where they finally rescue jewel and chiana which is kind of fun you know i like Crichton trying to act like the big important you know like out of town bidder trying to bid and then like the little back and forth with the one guy like you know i bid you know 40,000, 100, you know, 200, 250. You know, <laughs> it's kind of funny. And then at the end, you, you know, he wasn't going to wind up, you know, winning the bid, right? Because, well, plus we already saw the scenes of him like shooting the lights out. So then, of course, he's just like, ah, screw it. Shoot the lights out, start shooting everybody, <laughs> make a break for it. And then we learned that Dargo apparently still has feelings for Chiana, uh, which we, we knew, but it's kind of nice, like having it confirmed this time. Yeah, I, I did enjoy this part. I think that it kind of gets us a little step from the, the trippy part into kind of an action heist setup. And, you know, I'm a big heist movie type person. So this actually does play, although I think we did it better in the, uh, where they robbed the, the treasure planet, bank planet thing. So, you know, but yeah, this, this was, this was pretty good. I like the shooting out the lights and counting the steps and all the cool stuff that actually paid off here. So yeah, which actually, um, Raxel mentions that it's like, that, that's why she quote unquote hired, Dargo and Crichton, or got him in to do it because of what you heard about that Shadow Depository and their other escapades. So they're getting a reputation in the Uncharted territories, good or bad. Yeah. yeah. Although she expected him to show up with gunships. So, yeah. Yeah. Or more, more than two little dinky guns. He's like, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I expected more from you guys. And then, of course, the big ending, you know, uh, Fitor gets his uh, comeuppance more or less by basically getting overdosed on his own drug there. So. Yeah, a fitting end. And, and another one that we could probably fit into the noir detective type story, right? So they they could both end mm -hmm. this way. So Yeah, and the final double cross or the final you know, nail on the coffin there was, you know, it was Raxel all along. So yeah, d definitely noirish. Alright, so we kind of danced around it here and there with our other comments. Do you think the story that Crichton was spinning the pilot, was it true? All of it? Some of it? Or total lie for whatever reason, so Crichton could get back to Moyo and not be cooped up with the people on the planet somewhere. Um, you know, I think that in this case, it's probably a mixture of both, right? Uh, I think it was at the very least embellished, but definitely enhanced either from Freslin exposure or, you know, just John trying to convince Pilot that they want a break. 
Uh, he does kind of emphasize that he's never lied, so I do think something happened that he's basing this on, but probably not to the degree that the story takes place. Yeah, I mean, from what, from what we saw, yeah, I have, to, I have to assume that, yeah, I mean, he's telling the truth. Just He just happens to have his own viewpoint because he's his own person, and that's what he saw, and that's what he's saying, so yeah. So, so what you're I saying is from a certain point of view. That's right. That should be trademarked no, somewhere. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Now, there was a piece of trivia that I didn't put in there where I guess they had some un, unfinished scenes or they, they reworked the script to where somehow Raxel gets on Moya and they find out find her later and they have to drop, drop her off somewhere. So if that was really filmed, then of course it was true because, you know, she's there. So, But yeah, I'll go with Crichton that, you know, this happened just in his particular viewpoint, his point of view. <laughs> Anything else to mention about Scratch and Sniff? No. Um, you know, like I said, it, it was it was uh, an interesting one-off episode. Probably doesn't fit highly into my rankings. But, you know, it, it was an episode that, you know, on its own is probably enjoyable. I was just kind of hoping for more to move that crew forward as we kind of go back and forth between the two crews, right? So, Yeah, I mean, I guess they've been saying, at least since the two episodes ago, that, you know, Tian and Jewel are getting on each other's nerves and going to kill each other. Apparently, also Crichton and John were getting each other's nerves. So, you know, you need a break. You need to get away and relax. And I guess they sort of did, more or less. So, okay. Maybe they'll be more chill next time we see them. After eight more days on another planet, because Pilot's not done with his vacation yet. Yeah. yeah Pilot's not having it. He's like, <laughs> get off my ship. <laughs> I'm done with you people. All right. So, before we get into the secret invasion discussion, uh, we'll tell you what's up next time for Farscape. So you can drop off if you don't want to listen to Secret Invasion. So next time we're going to cover Season 3, Episode 14, Infinite Possibilities, Part 1, Dataless Demands. So playing our usual guessing game, uh, well, Part 1, so at least it's a two-parter, at least. So, you know, see, I got that going for me. Part 1. Good job there. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm I'm smart. Uh, yeah. this, you're the one with the um, brain. Got I, it. I knew, yeah. <laughs> Not the detachable eyes, yeah, because of the so I, I do remember like Daedalus was like a, a Greek mythology kind of thing. I wasn't quite sure which. So, you know, doing the quick Googles. He was the inventor who made the wings that he and his uh, son Icarus used to escape King Minos. So, I don't know. If we want to keep that theme, then maybe they meet like an inventor of something. Uh, I'm thinking like if this is the keeping with the pattern, this will be the Talons show next time maybe. So do they meet maybe the creators of the Leviathans again? That could be interesting if they have Talon and the creators are like, um, you have a warship, Leviathan? We didn't make those. Um, what are you doing? That could be interesting. Or since it's a part one, then maybe this is where we get the whole crew back together. Or like part one's Talon and part two is Moya. Keeping that every other thing going, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't think about the fact that it's a two-parter could be one episode, one part per crew, or multi-parter anyway, right? I'm definitely looking forward to the multi-parter. I always seem to like those... Um, best like it's where the show usually kind of pulls out the, the big guns so to speak uh, i'll also mention that the other thing daedalus is known for daedalus is known for is the uh i believe he was the inventor of the minotaur's labyrinth to keep the minotaur trapped so maybe there's a, a labyrinthian theme there as well hmm. maybe this will be where david bowie guest stars and we can cross all the streams yeah we just have the big conclusion of everything bring everybody together right. it's, it's all related it's all muppets yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Bring in some of those like um, dark crystal 
creatures too, and you got the whole set. That's great. Down in Fraggle Rock. <laughs> they all go to Sesame Street. That's yeah. All right, so that's your homework for the Farscape part. And if you drop off, then that's next time. Otherwise, stay tuned for the Secret Invasion first half season recap. All right, we got the first three episodes to talk about. So I guess we'll just give you like a little quick recap of each episode. So we at least remember, depending on when you're listening to this, what happened. And then we can get into some discussions and theories and whatever. Sounds good to me. All right. So episode one, Resurrection. In Moscow, Talos pursues Everett Ross for killing CIA agent Prescott, who theorized that shape-shifting scroll rebels frustrated that Talos and Nick Fury have not found them a new home, intend to incite civil war, or sorry, civil war, intend to incite war between Russia and the United States to take over the Earth. Maria Hill arrives to assist Ross and discovers that he is a scroll. She calls Fury, who has been working in space for years following the blip. Returning to Earth, Fury learns that Talos has been exiled from the Scroll Council and replaced by former ally Gravik, the rebel leader. Fury is then kidnapped by MI6 agents working for his old acquaintance, Sonya Falsworth, who refuses to work with Fury to stop Gravik. Uh, Fury uses a bug to eavesdrop on her, and he and Talos locate a man who has provided dirty bombs to the rebels. One of the rebels is Talos' daughter, Gaia, who is unaware that her mother, Soren, was killed by the rebels. Gaia reveals the rebels' plans to attack a plaza in Moscow on Unity Day. Fury, Hill, and Talos fail to intercept the bombs, and Gravik detonates them. In the chaos, Gravik disguises himself as Fury and kills Maria Hill. And then we jump into episode two, Promises. So we cut back to 1997, where Fury recruits several Skrull refugees, including the young orphan Gravik, in exchange for helping them find a new home planet for them. Then we cut to the present, where Talos reveals to Fury that, no, there's a million Skrulls living on Earth. Whoa. An angry Fury continues alone and meets with Hill's mother. Uh, as the U.S. gets implicated in the bombing in Russia, Gravik meets with the Skrull Council and gains majority support. And in the Skrull Council apparently is uh, the FXN news host Chris Stearns, the U.K. Prime Minister Pema Lawton, and even the NATO Security General. And then they vote him as the new Skrull warlord and will lead the Skrulls in their new war. There is one dissenting councilwoman, Shirley Sugar, and she contacts Talos to arrange a meeting between him and Gravik. Uh, back in London, Fury meets with Colonel James Rhodes, who's working for the White House, to explain the situation, and Rhodes fires Fury and blames him for the bombing and Hill's death. Fallsworth interrogates an imprisoned rebel, Brogan, who reveals that Gravik is building a machine capable of strengthening the scrolls with help from a scientist couple, the Daltons. Gaia discovers that the rebels are experimenting with foreign DNA before accompanying Gravik to kill Brogan. And finally, Refiri returns home and is met by his wife, Priscilla, who apparently is also a scroll. And then we reach the midpoint here with episode three, Betrayed. Gravik reveals to the Scroll Council that he intends to create super scrolls using collected foreign DNA, and he has sent rebels to infiltrate the Royal Navy in order to launch missiles at the United Nations aircraft, which would start World War III. Gravik later meets with Talos to negotiate a parlay, but the discussion breaks down when Gravik threatens to kill Gaia. Gaia secretly, attends Tal secretly sends Talos information about the attack while Fury meets with him and pleads to work together again. Fury contacts Fallsworth and learns the name of the Naval Command Headquarters officer in charge, Commodore Robert Fairbanks. Fury and Talos arrive at the headquarters and interrogate Fairbanks, but Fairbanks provokes Talos into killing him. 
Talos contacts Gaia, who obtains Fairbanks' authorization code, allowing them to abort the launch in time. Gaia attempts to run away, but Gravik, who suspected her betrayal, shoots her and leaves her for dead. Meanwhile, Priscilla secretly contacts an unknown person wishing to speak to Gravik, but is denied. Yeah, so we got plans within plans, scrolls that don't know other people are scrolls. It's, you know, total chaos here. So, But overall, what do you think about the first half of Secret Invasion? For me, the first episode started out great. You know, it had a great opening. You know, it was exciting action, whatever. And then it got a little bit slow after that, at least the first episode. But, I mean, it is the first episode, so they have to, like, set up all everything. You know, get you reconnected with all the characters from the Captain Marvel show and whatever happened after that. So you know what's going on. And if you don't know what scrolls were, okay, here's what scrolls are, you know, so, which was kind of good for me since I only saw Captain Marvel once in the theaters and like scenes here and there on TV afterwards, but I haven't watched the whole thing again since the theater time. Yeah. The one thing, and it's been kind of consistent for me across the latest batch of Marvel and honestly, probably the Star Wars shows too, is that I never feel like I get enough out of the first few episodes. It seems to take a bit to feel like we're making progress that's probably by design and shows they're doing their job right because it leaves you wanting more but personally i'd like for these episodes to be longer and to see a little bit more movement Uh, especially given that i think we've only got six episodes in this arc and we're halfway through and there's a lot to do so I, i don't know i'd like to see longer and more content yeah i guess like you said there's only six and they're only like 35 ish minutes a piece so it's yeah, you kind of have a lot of time here, like basically three hours to tell this story. And they spent the first hour, you're like, okay, I get it. Can you move it a little faster, please? You know, But obviously they have their arc and they know what they're doing. And you know, they, they carved it up this way to give these, these little shocks at the end of each episode, sort of. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're getting there. So Yeah. And, and as we'll probably hit on a little bit later, there's no requirement, right, that they wrap this all up. It could lead into other shows and other uh, movies. So... Maybe we're not supposed to be done with this, but if they're planning on wrapping it up a lot, there's there's a lot to go. Yeah, I mean, this could be like a, like an inter- interlinking of something. Like we had the the scroll reveal at the end of Captain Marvel, which was a long time ago, like what three four years, twenty nineteen, so almost four years maybe. So then they pick it up now. You know, we're kind of talking off recording here about what's coming next and where this might fit if they don't wrap it up. But yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, they don't have to wrap it up, like you said, or they could. Or there could, be, there could be a season two, maybe some point. Who knows? We'll see. And then one of the things that kind of it was intriguing for me, because I had forgotten, because you know I've watched these latest sets of movies like once, because it's just so much TV and movies to watch. There's kind of articles floating around about how long was Fury a scroll, like we saw in Spider-Man Far From Home at the end, where he and Hill were both scrolls. Some of the articles were saying it started right after Captain Marvel or other various points in the MCU movies. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so it kind of doesn't really fit anything that makes sense and but most of them agree that and probably it started just before far from home did yeah i think i'm guessing it happened post in-game um kind of between in-game and any of the the current phase of marvel movies because they mentioned quite a bit that he lost some faith after the blip and coming back from that and everything so it would make sense that at that point he went to the ship and the, anything that happened on Earth from then on would have been, with Fury, would have been a scroll. I'll mention here also one of the cool things about this concept, right, is that anybody could be a scroll at any point. And so you, you catch that Everett, that Ross, right, was, was a scroll. And, you know, there's a question about, well, how long was he a scroll? Was he a scroll in Black Panther, you know, 
and then uh, another one that I don't know if we've mentioned anywhere else, but that voice at the very end, a lot that a lot of people theorize that that was Rhodey and is Rhodey a scroll? Lots, lots of cool what ifs, you know, who do you trust in, when, when it, the, the enemy's a shapeshifter, right? Yeah, and apparently scrolls can't even tell other scrolls when they're shapeshifted. So, I mean, you could even have cases where a scroll's talking to another scroll and not even realizing it. So, yeah, you have all these different layers and layers of paranoia and is this person really who I'm looking at or not? So, yeah, I mean, they, they do a good job of that throughout the whole three episodes so far. And then, like, for the first couple episodes, first two episodes, I think it got better in the third episode. Yeah, I didn't quite like where Fury was going. Like, he wasn't acting like he was in the movies. Like, you know, all sure himself, you know, the, the plans within plans, you know, the contingencies, like you'd expect from the typical leader of a worldwide espionage organization. But then they also, they kept having characters like Maria Hill, I think even Talos, saying, like, Fury's not quite on his game anymore since he's been in space for years. So, okay, fine. So, at least by episode three, it looks like he's getting back into his, you know, the, the spy groove, uh, which is uh, good because, like we said, there's only three episodes left. <laughs> <laughs> so, he better get on it quick. And then they also keep dropping little nuggets of, like, maybe how he got to where he was as the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, apparently he was using scrolls as spies over the years since like 1997 to help him get to where he was now or well then as leader of shield so you know get more backstory on fury so that's kind of cool yeah. plus he was apparently mar- married to a scroll too okay cool never never talked about her but he didn't really have to <laughs> no that that one kind of came out of, of left field but the the they they definitely put a pin in the fact that he got where he was going and and was the super spy that everybody was always amazed by because he had these scrolls reporting to him and being his eyes and ears. I'll also mention one of the other interesting things I saw online that was kind of interesting, and we'll see if it carries out through the rest of the show, is that as he kind of gets back on his game, his he, he trims the beard, right? So he starts out with this big, huge, pushy beard, and by the end of the third episode, he's or at the beginning of the third episode, I guess, he's trimmed it down to just a really big goatee, right? So as he progresses, it'll be interesting to see if he continues to you know, trim up and, and become more what the fury we knew from the other movies, not just in capability, but also appearance. Yeah. And I guess he got tired of wearing the uh, eye patch, you know, Samuel Jackson. So, you know, now he at least has his eye uncovered so he can probably see better too. So yeah, you're getting, he's getting a little healthier and better (laughs) as it goes on. Yeah. Is it me or is that scratch become more pronounced now that they've decided they know where it came from and it was the from the Captain Marvel movie. It's like now every time you see the scratch just gets more and more prominent. Yeah, I don't know, because over the July 4th holiday weekend, as we're recording, you know, the week after that, they, were, they had like the Avengers on like three times over that weekend. And I was watching parts of them. And yeah, I don't remember was, even with the eye patch on, were, were the scars like that pronounced above and below the eye patch? Hmm. I'll go back and look at that next time. Yeah, I feel like there was something, but I don't feel like it was as magnified as it's gotten since they're like, oh, yeah, he got scratched. We need to make sure everybody knows he got scratched, right? That's to tie into Captain Marvel. Yeah, and then, like, did he, since, like, the late 90s, did he kind of just forget all about helping them find a new homeworld? Like, because, I mean, obviously they didn't mention it in the movies because we only found out about it in, like, you know, two movies ago or three movies ago. So, okay, fine. You know, I don't, that's not a big deal. But, yeah, was he really just, like, playing them a little bit to get what he wanted for all of his things? And maybe he's going to go, oh, okay, yeah, now we'll look for your homeworld here. I don't know. Maybe we'll explain it or hint more about it in the next couple episodes. Yeah, because at this point, they definitely have made it sound like he just played them and took advantage of the scrolls. 
he's kind of yeah, now not the good guy in this like one. All, yeah, it's like all his fault now that they are where they are. Like, you know, World War Three is going to happen because he didn't follow through on his promise, you know, which is extreme, but I mean, okay. <laughs> you can kind of see they'd be a little mad, right? Well, yeah, because you've had years of Captain Marvel being out there exploring. Could she not have found something? Yeah. And then, the, like, their plan, like we were talking about, I don't quite get the whole plan, which I guess is only three episodes in, but I guess we kind of have to know the rest of the plan here because we, we only got so many half hours left here, but so I mean, the first one looks like obviously they want to start World War Three, so the planet gets nuked and lowers the population. Apparently, because the scrolls they said hung a lantern on that you know they're resistant to radiation. So okay, fine. So if if there is like a nuclear winter and irradiated cities, they'll be fine. Yeah, their okay, base so is basically Chernobyl, right? So yeah, so they live in there, which no one else wants to be there. So perfect hiding spot. They said there's already a million scrolls on Earth. So how many more out there somewhere else? I mean. It must be more than that, because if they're already here, then why don't they just keep doing what they're doing and just have a happy life like they are now? I mean, unless they don't want to appear human all the time and want to be their normal scroll appearance, I guess. I don't know. And then we have the, the Super Scroll plan, which I like the name drop back to the, you know, the Super Scroll from Marvel Comics, who has like you know all the powers of the Fantastic Four. In this case, that's not going to happen because we haven't really introduced the Fantastic Four into the current MCU, so they're not going to do that. But it sounds like they're going to just have like random superpowers so that's kind of cool but why i mean is that in case their other plan for world war three doesn't work or it's like a future like that they'll have powers to handle any remaining threats afterwards like superheroes who aren't mentioned at all really around here or the enemies that destroy their homeworld it's, it's kind of a confusing set of plans here or at least not not, not a consistently interlocking set of plans here i guess they're like two different plans yeah and and you could you know jump in with you know why not just you, you know take over a government or a government program and use that to find yourself a new home instead of starting a war right i mean there's there's there seems like there could be other ways to do it i, I will mention the the super scroll thing i find really interesting because i don't know if you caught the list of powers and stuff that they had on the screen there but they had you know groot as one of the powers frost beast which i think was from some other show Cull Obsidian, which I think was one of Thanos' people. And then mm -hmm. the, the big one was Extremis. And there's a scene at the end when they're having the parlay with Talos and Gravik when Talos stabs Gravik in the hand. And Gravik just pulls his hand out of it and it heals with the Extremis power. So it looks like he may have it. Yeah, maybe he's like the, the first Super Scroll and just hasn't been revealed yet. So. Right. So it's, it's interesting that they're the powers they chose because it's stuff from the MCU that they haven't touched in years, right? I mean, we haven't seen Extremis since Iron Man 3. Which would make more sense because I think when Talos and Gravik were fighting, they're like knocking each other through like, you know, concrete pillars and you know, into walls. And obviously they have stronger bone density and strength, but then you can shoot them and kill them. So it's like, well, okay. So yeah, having Extremis would probably help in that respect that now they're effectively immortal slash bulletproof, you know, with a healing factor to rival Wolverine, apparently. Yeah, which means Gravik will be even tougher to kill. So. <laughs> Yep, which, you know, we'll see where that goes. And then, you know, they kind of drop, you know, kind of two, I guess at the end of season, uh, episode one and three, they kind of give you those, like, shocking deaths, apparently. You know, Maria Hill and, and Gia, Gaia, whatever. So, since this show keeps you guessing all the time, you're not sure who's what, what's going on, do you think that they're both really dead? 
I'm probably guessing Maria Hill is because they just brought her on for the one episode. She's done. Just here to look at his appearance. And if Fury is really off his game as he appears, then he wouldn't have had time to probably stage something or have any skills set up to fake her death or whatever. Gaia, I mean, it, it just happened in last episode, at the end of last episode. So I think it's too soon to tell. Maybe she is. Maybe she's not. We'll find out. I mean, either way, it doesn't bother me any. At least Talos and Gravik already hitting each other would add some more, I guess, fuel to that fire that Gravik killed his daughter. That'd be some good motivation, some good emotional scenes in the next couple episodes. But then having Emilia Clark hyped up to be on the show, only to like whack her halfway through, is that a waste? It's not stunt casting because, you know, she had some parts to do. I don't know. And then thinking like what we saw when she went down to rescue or to get the code from the Royal Navy guy, you know, if her appearance is of an actual human, then maybe her her real human body is trapped down in those catacombs, strapped to those devices that access the memories. So maybe that person will wake up and get out. And that could be interesting too, because then Talos will think it's her, his daughter, but it's not really. And of course, there are internet opinions on that too, uh, as if that might be true or not. I think that while both of those deaths assuming that they both stick, right? Surprise me. I, I think in both cases, they probably are both dead. It kind of, mainly because I think it gives the show stakes and shows that nobody's safe, right? This, this is one of the, usually we go into these movies and these shows and we know our heroes are going to make it out, right? There may be peripheral characters, but you never really expect the Avengers to die, right? You never expect, you know, Nick Fury to die. You never expect any real consequences life-wise to these characters. And they've showed us right off the bat, no, here's Maria Hill. She's one of the big main people from S.H.I.E.L.D., right? She's going to be the big person in this show. Nope, out in the first episode. Here's this famous actress that we're, you know, everybody's hyped up to have on the show. Eh, eh, nope, she's dead. So you just never know. And that's, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it you know, certainly kept you guessing. I mean, it was definitely a shock that they, they shot Maria Hill at the end of this episode. She's laying there and like, ooh, wow, okay. This, you know, they're for real here. <laughs> so. Exactly, yep. But yeah, there's like in that theory, which I guess makes sense now that I think about it. In, in the comics, there's like a like in a kind of off-world version of Shield called Sword. I think it stands for like Sentient World Observation, something something, whatever I can't remember. But that's led by somebody named Abigail Brand. So they're thinking that maybe that's who Gaia looks like, and that might be her coming in, because that's where Fury was. He was helping build this off-world space station or whatever, which is where Sword's located in the comics. So, I don't know. Yeah, that might be. So it. what they, I don't know. it'd be cool to bring to bring more of that into the you know, MCU. That'd be kind of neat. Yeah. So, so what they've done so far in the MCU is you you do have sword, but it's sentient weapon. I want to say, and it's the that was the agency that had Vision in, in WandaVision. Okay. And, but the space station that Fury was at was Saber, which is kind of another sword-like thing that is opposite of Shield. And so that was the space station. I don't know if they've said what Saber stood for. But definitely they could shift it a little bit and have uh, Herbie Abigail brand and be on Saber. And that would that would work. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, because then, you know, you, you haven't only paid for Amelia Clark for three episodes. You know, you get her for the full six. Just now she's a different character. Yeah. Yeah. And you can use her in other other things because now you set up her running a space station or something. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. Or that's how they could wrap up the thing of if they wrap it up in the next three episodes, it's like she had the plans or she knows about another planet that they could go to or something. And, oh, okay. Everything's fine. Great. Wonderful. And they all leave. Probably not, but <laughs> <you know. laughs> we'll see where it goes. Cause you know, also now if 
I'm sure all a million scrolls that are here aren't having people's memories, so there's not a million actual humans missing. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. Like if you have like a million people suddenly disappear who aren't really weren't here up until like you know 20 years ago or something. You know, I don't know. We'll see. How. And, and they're all not going to want to go leave, right? Because you've got Fury's yeah. wife; she wouldn't want to leave. So yeah, if they have already families or careers or just they like Earth and want to stay here, then they they all don't have to leave. So yeah, it could be interesting wrap-up of episode six, which probably is like going to be like a five-minute wrap-up like they usually do. You know, they're going to keep you guessing up until the last second and then kind of wrap it up in like like two scenes. <laughs> so <laughs> We'll see. And a Wikipedia article. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Or a little, little, little vignette, like those little Marvel shorts they used to have, you know. Nick Fury will return in. Yeah, right. <laughs> you do like the whole spy thing. You can like, be like James Bond. Anything else to talk about the first half of Secret Invasion? No, other than to say, I'm definitely enjoying this more than I think I've enjoyed. Well, the Marvel shows have been hit or miss lately. I, I did really enjoy Moon Knight. I really enjoyed Hawkeye. I think anything since those two, I've been kind of eh on back and forth. The same kind of goes for movies. So while I may complain that these are short, I'm definitely enjoying the story more than I have the most recent stuff. Yeah, and like we said about the Marvel stuff, it could be anything, right? You know, it, it's superhero-ish, but you can do, you know, heist things, detective stuff, in this case, espionage and spy things. So, you know, it, it's fun to play with the genre and just add on top of, like, the normal genre, like the mystical, superhero-y, alien thing. So just well, add something extra that makes it more fun. Yeah, and, and I'll agree with that because my favorite of the first couple Marvel movies was Captain America 2. Because exactly that, right? It was it was really at its core a spy movie, and um, they've kind of done it again here. So yeah, with the head spy. So the guy that knows where all the bodies are buried because he put them there. Yeah. So <laughs> he's always got his eye on you. That's right. Eyes now. Literally. So <laughs> although his don't detach, and you can't look at them later for things. Uh, yeah, so. I was just thinking those two should really get together and form some kind of spy agency or something. So. Yeah, if he finds one Call of those creatures, orb. yeah, he's... Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, like we said before, next time will be one, two, or three more secret invasions in one episode, or or not. We'll see when we record next, what's left, and we'll go from there. So your partial homework next time is keep watching Secret Invasion, and we'll keep talking about it. As for what, we don't know yet. It's a secret. But no invasion. Right. That you know of. Well, if we told you, it wouldn't be a secret, so... That's right. Then it'd just be Invasion, and then that'd be kind of a boring title. Surprise, invasion. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right, so that is your homework for the Marvel part next time, and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye. All right, so... Uh, first up on the podcast today, tonight, whenever, we'll be covering Farscape Season 3, Episode 12. Nope, that's wrong. <laughs> I didn't change that. <laughs> All right, let me just change that so I don't do it again here. So, oh, didn't look, didn't look right. so we just had a meltdown? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Let's try that again. First up on tonight's podcast, Farscape Season 3, Episode 13, Scratch and Sniff.